You are on Max's Island, a podcast by Meet Max Power. On Max's Island podcast, you'll hear the lived experiences of people who choose to live life a little differently. It might be a story of when they took time out and dared to do something crazy. Perhaps they made a decision to leave it all behind and follow their dreams. Or maybe they just stopped listening to what other people thought and did what was right for them. This experience becomes a story that is part of them and one that you need to hear. So, now that you're on Max's Island, listen to the wisdom in these stories and you too will be inspired to do what you have always wanted to do. Today on Max's Island, I've got Tate Oliver. Welcome to the island, Tate. Thanks, Tony. Tate, on the island, we love to hear those stories from people who did something just for themselves, perhaps made that pivotal decision in their life to follow a dream, do something they've always wanted to do. Or sometimes their story revolves around where life just happened and an event occurred and it changed everything. Do you have a time in your life where perhaps you followed a dream or made a decision that that changed it all for you? Yeah, definitely. And a, a bit of both as well, like a good story. There's some twists that yeah, you don't expect, kind of like what you mentioned just then. That has happened. The one that comes to mind is actually, let's think of it like three chapters to a story, the story of Tate. And the first one, so I've finished high school. So I'm 31 years old now for some context high school and I'm like cool now what do I do with my dreams where am I going I want to make an impact I want to serve people I did a degree in health science and I was working in retail at the time and my manager said hey look there's a uh, a management program actually starting we'd like you to apply for it so like the I think I was 20 or 19 year old kid that I was that put my hand up and applied and I was like ah it'll be great feedback I won't get it and I've never led before. They want me to be in a management program. And I tell you what, Tony, I got it. And they're like, in two weeks, we need you to move. I was like, oh, shoot. So I've packed my bags <laughs> and pissed off. <laughs> Went to a place called Gisborne uh, in New Zealand. So that's um, from, from Hawke's Bay in New Zealand originally. So I drove three hours north to a new place I've never been before and left the nest. And my, my journey starts there. And that was the first twist. It was like, pack your bags, <laughs> you're off. So, Tate, you did all this on your own? Do you just up and left? Yeah, yeah. I um, had a girlfriend at the time, and, and that's part of the story. But, yeah, I hopped in my little two-door car. You know, this thing was loud, you know, boy racer sort of type. <laughs> off I went to uh, three and a half hours north, just me, my TV, a mink blanket, and a bag of stuff, right? Clothes and shoes. And that was about it. That was, that was the beginning of my journey. And did you have a place to stay or was that also part of the challenge going to a new <laughs> job, new place and 
Yeah, you know what? That was interesting. So I found a uh, I found a place to to board. I found a spare room with a nice old lady, and it didn't work out because I found out quite quickly she really wanted someone to talk to, and that person <laughs> was was going to be me. And so <laughs> she actually this this was interesting. You know, it was a it was my first experience of living with someone that didn't really understand the impact on others, and so a lot of toxicity came out. So I made a pretty abrupt decision to go, no, I'm out. You're a lovely human inside, but I, there's, there's something happening here that I, that doesn't bode well. So I uh, escaped for lack of better terms and moved out to the middle of the country with the uh, like the admin lady who was lovely and had my own granny flat. Uh, nice. So I had my own environment. So I found a landing pad and that was, that was important for me. This was your first foray into some sort of, responsibility in the workplace yeah so being a management program ahead almost like a tiered approach you'd start as a sales manager you'd move six to 12 months later depending on the need into a service manager then you'd move to an assistant manager or nightfall manager depending where the need was and then by the time you get to about three years through the program keeping in mind every time you move you move locations as well you'd become a store manager and what I found actually was when I was I was a nightfall manager after I'd moved to the South Island of New Zealand and then back up to the North Island six months later, I found that I didn't want to be a store manager. That that wasn't what drove me. And what drove me was people. So the the quest for perceived leadership power, all of those things, was something that you discovered that wasn't you. Yeah, and it's such a great learning. It was, you know, it's it's hard to decide where you want to go if you never go anywhere. And you've got to remember, you, you know, you were in your early 20s. Yeah. Discovering life in general. Oh, yeah, I was, you know, there were twists, there were turns. I parted in an eight-year relationship, met my wife on that journey, and, yeah, got, got to a place where I was a nightfall manager working you know, 7 p.m. to 4.30 in the morning. That in itself was a challenge. And what I found quite quickly is that although I liked the responsibility and I liked the structure of the, the program and I loved and enjoyed the people that I worked with and the, the breadcrumb of positivity that I left behind me, which I'm very proud of, there was something about climbing that corporate ladder that wasn't as fulfilling as I thought it was going to be. And so my, my second chapter began. I, uh, I looked for a role in service. So again, you're just going back, you're, you're only in your early to mid-20s and mm-hmm. you're making a significant revelation about your, your potential working career and you've actually been able to get some insight into what fulfills you. That must have been really important. Yeah, it was, it was huge. I think really from a young age, and I'm talking like high school, like I'm talking 15, 16, 17. I knew what I wanted to do. To be more accurate, I knew that I knew what impact I wanted to have with people. Right. And I saw at a young age a lot of um, abuse, which included physical abuse uh, and actually a really big one that I experienced, but also I share with a lot of others is neglect, which was a huge form of abuse. Um, and what I learned is that people 
people weren't very self-sufficient. They didn't know how to look after themselves as much as they would have liked to because we rely on parents or caregivers or friends and family. And my my papa, his story, he he travelled around the Pacific Islands and um, did work with Fiji and Samoa around the educational system and got to a point where he actually, when he was in Samoa, did a lot of work with the um, the, the people through the YMCA and had a positive impact to actually reduce the likes of suicide rates by up to almost, I think it was 50%. And I knew through his stories that that was the impact that I wanted to have. And in between this journey, Tony, I, I did my health degree and I was like, cool, now what? So I did personal training for about four or five months. It wasn't my cup of tea. <laughs> And that was because it, it just wasn't enough. You know, I was a selfish little 19-year-old. I was like, I want more. You know, it wasn't the money. It was just the impact. You know, the most fun thing I was doing, which really, really filled me with joy, was actually running these foam rolling and stretching classes with women aged anywhere from 60 plus. It was a hoot. We had a <laughs> bloody good time. And they're offering, you know, I'm 19 or 20 and they're offering me alcohol and they're like, we can do this. No, we can pay you. And I'm like, no, no, you pay for the class. And that's, and that's how I get my money. You do not need to pay me. And it's just, just that love between people was something that I wanted, something I'd forgotten. So you've done this. So you actually had experienced it in other, other environments as well. So the second yeah. chapter. So then what happened? Yeah, so the second chapter. So this is really where I found my purpose. You know, I, I like Forrest Gump, I tried the chocolates and found out what I didn't like and also found out what I did like. And this job, so I was a nightfall manager at the time and I applied for a role in the South Island of New Zealand down in Dunedin. And it was a people performance coach. So it was essentially a coach role slash training or trainer role for anywhere between new recruits that were entering the business, induction pathways, that sort of stuff, and managers, so coaching existing managers that had been a retail manager since I was in nappies, or new retail managers uh, that were building skill sets or, or sharing that collective intelligence so that they could build each other. And again, I'm, I'm 24 by this point, 25 maybe, and I was like, this would be great feedback. It's, it's probably two years ahead of where Tate is right now. And I got the job. <laughs> so, all right, pack my bags. <laughs> I got a new car, needed a bigger car to put my bigger TV in it. And I, I buggered off down to the South Island and started chapter two. At any point in time, did you feel the pressure of, you know, perhaps even imposter syndrome there of, of- doing something that you weren't sure or was it really just this is the adventure this is I'm, I'm up for the challenge it was a bit of both since since I was and this is probably where we're all rooted from when I was at high school I hated how people treated each other and someone said you can't change who you are and I basically took that as a challenge and said screw you I'm going to change exactly who I am so I did so the same sort of thing happened with this Tony where I was like this is two years ahead of me that's already imposter syndrome saying you're not ready. You're not old enough. You're not wise enough. You haven't got the skill set. You're not there yet. Are you kidding? While at the same time, I was like, are you kidding me? Like, you're going to come at me with that? And the self-talk. Yes. Like, I'm going to kick my own ass. So I went, 
and um, like I used that as fuel. Great. That must be something that was pretty empowering for you to use that as your motivator. Yeah, and it's a learned behaviour. Now I've I've uh, battled and won with the likes of uh, mental health in the past, and I've been able to kind of understand what I, one of my greatest learnings was understanding that from a psychological and a biological point of view, but then also learning things like Myers Briggs, like personality types. Like we are all different. Mm. So if I can hone and understand myself, then I can control what I have internally a lot better, while also understanding others. One of the great things talking to so many people on Max's Island is that that sense of everybody is different, everybody is unique, everybody thinks differently. Mm. In life, everything is averaged. We try to get put into groups of people, or types of uh, personalities, whatever it might be. And certainly there's crossover, but everybody has their own unique way, their own unique story. And the realisation, the self-actualization of that is so, so important to an individual to understand where they're at and that as you've pointed out not only does it help them achieve perhaps what is most fulfilling in life but it also helps with their their mental health in general yeah definitely and it's 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 understanding the bell curve as a huge medium of averages but we want to study at the study the people at the top and the bottom yep because they're the what some people might say they're the anomalies but they're the exciting ones yes they're the more exciting ones. Not to say that the, the medium or the average aren't exciting, but they're the more exciting ones. There's a little bit of edge in them. Whatever that is, that's the stuff we want to find out. So how was your first session in front of people doing as a trainer, yeah. as a coach? It was, it was the same sort of thing. It was anxiety driving, but I managed to harness that power pretty quickly by I'll walk you through the first day. So I'm with my friend and my, my boss at the time, friend later, and his name is Jeff. And we are running a workshop with a whole bunch of new, uh, new people starting in retail, you know, customer service, what are some of the soft skills, what are some of the technical skills to be, what are the things you need to be aware of? And we use the model when you approach customers, you need to connect and you ask questions, you make proper heartfelt recommendations not just you know selling stuff for the sake of selling stuff and then you execute on the sale because people are there to buy stuff and we are there to make money you know there's a healthy relationship between those two things now i've never run the workshop before <laughs> i haven't ever seen the material before but what i realized pretty quickly is that the people that were running these didn't necessarily have the boots on the ground experience where i did I worked in retail for about nine years before actually getting into this, this position with the people with the boots on the ground. So not to take away from Jeff, but I was like this amazing translator. I'm like, oh, that makes sense. Oh, here's an example. Oh, like I can connect some dots. So while Jeff was facilitating the models and the examples, I was giving the real life, this is what a person or a customer or a team member might do. And they go, ah, oh, click. I was bringing the electricity and Jeff was bringing the light bulbs. That's a nice way of yeah. putting it. The bit in between that makes all the difference, connects it. Yeah. And that was that. And it's that difference between knowing something and understanding something. Great experience in your first session. Yeah. Day one, terrifying and rewarding. It was, it's a great mixture. <laughs> so how did that job play out and, and how did it, 
did the experiences shape your career, shape your your life? Yeah, massively. So this this is the job that I hold probably closest to me in terms of, you know, I miss it for the impact and the people that I had around me. But also because it was such a big learning curve in my life, I did this job for almost almost three years. And the job as a whole, you know, we talked earlier about doing what you love um, prior to this talk. And this was what I was what I was doing is what I loved. You know, I'm in the business of growing people. My father grows flowers and my papa, his father before him, he grew people. So my dad would say, your papa grew, grew people. I grow flowers and you grow people. And I grow people. And I'm, I'm proud to say that. It's amazing that um, people from outside recognize that. You know, we, again, we spend a lot of time in our own minds trying to work out what we're comfortable with, what we're good at, what, where we're achieving that impact. But it's mm-hmm. even better for others to observe that and, and recognize that. Yeah, and it's there's this mix. I thought about a, a bit of a metaphor earlier, actually, around this, and that's you know, there's the half cup, uh, cup half full, cup half empty analogy, and depending on perception or whether it's a cup. And I think life isn't about filling the cup up or emptying it and refilling it. Not one cup. And I thought about this, you know, my my story, like I said at the start, kind of has three chapters, and I almost feel as if there's like ten different cups. Like the chocolates that Forrest Gump eats, and you got to try them all to see if you like them or not. And it came about because I was filling up this cup that I didn't like. You know, I was filling it up and taking the drink of this nice warm drink, and it wasn't fulfilling. It wasn't actually warming me up. My soul wasn't warm, or if it was, it wasn't for long. So I moved to a different cup, changed jobs or changed locations based on their management program, and I tried another cup. And I liked it to start with. You have honeymoon periods and all that. And realized I didn't like this. And so I got to this job, this people performance coach role was like a thermos filled with the warmest, silkiest, smoothest hot chocolate you could think of. One sip on a freezing, freezing, you know, icy day warms your soul. And like this was that job. It wasn't another cup that people were emptying or I was drinking constantly to keep myself warm. This was that job that filled my thermos to the top. And all it took was a sip to warm my entire soul. That was this job. Did you imagine this being your life career? Yeah. Yeah, at 27, I think I was 28 by the time I got to, to mid to end of it. Yeah, you know, it was, it was like I, I could do this forever. You know, I'd like to change and I still want to grow because it's a huge part of who I am. You know, I, I don't want to put a, a ceiling over my head in terms of growth. What it did teach me, what it did tell me, Tony, was that I knew what I wanted to do. And that was that was fundamentally, like I said before, growing people. And how did you do that day in, day out? Was it just that unique experience of meeting somebody different in a different workshop, in a different facilitation environment, that was the challenge or that was the inspiration? Yeah, both, because you're not wrong. Like, you know, there were challenges um, and there are aspirations because humans being humans that we are, some of us are more open, some of us are not. Some of us have complexities in terms of how we think or what we think about the teams we have, the hierarchies that are above us or below us for that matter or around us. But what I found, if you know, that, that sip that kept me warm was a combination of 
two things if you think about um, the drink in this case and the ingredients were connectivity with different people and a different range of people old young wise some that are super new some that have been in the game for 20 years 30 years 40 years but the game's changed like the the it was vast. The variety of people was amazing. Just having that contact kept me going. The other one was that almost every conversation was some form of learning experience, whether that was for me or the party that I was with. And you know, we, we built this kind of culture, me and the regional manager, where we all still had jobs to do. There were KPIs, there were metrics, but we all still have people. And people bring those metrics. So there was more focus around you know, what, are the, what are the skill gaps? How are people thinking? Who are we hiring? So we, we bought some, at least on paper, some strategy to people to strengthen our succession planning, our bench strength. And the beauty in that was that the managers at the time and the leaders uh, hierarchically below them uh, wanted to grow and wanted more. That that made it so much better. So why aren't you still in that job? Chapter three. <laughs> <laughs> so I now have a son called Xavier. He's a cute little blonde boy with blue eyes. He'll be a uh, my best friend said he'll be a heart maker or a heartbreaker. He's one of those cute little buttons. And he was due. So we we found out Kat, my wife, um, was pregnant. And we have no family aside from the, uh, you know, work family, if you will, the work support and the people around us through employment. We had no, you know, biological family around us. We thought it would be very important to have this baby around family for our own sake and for their sake. That's great to have nannas and poppers and grandparents around. So we packed our bags and we moved to Auckland which in New Zealand, if you've lived in New Zealand for a while and never really left, you know, Auckland's the land of opportunity. There's people, places, and population density. <laughs> like, this is the place that's taller than anywhere else. This, this was the place to land. And this is where part of the family was. So I left that thermos behind and hadn't realised it for a while. I thought, you know, I thought I'd bring it with me, but that's, there were external factors that influenced my my being, if you will. So we moved to Auckland and moved into an operations role within a service sector within the retail business that I was in, which is called the Warehouse Group. And this was a new service to the company and a new service to the country. So we're building it. There was, you know, working with marketing, there was working with commercial services, sales, uh, boots on the ground, girls and guys that are doing the selling as well as the, the likes of the senior leadership team because it was a new service as well. And although I had a lot of challenge and I found myself in flow quite a lot because I found that sweet spot of um, you know, the right amount of pressure, which was healthy, uh, it also got to a point where I realised that I'd swapped that thermos out for another cup. What made Sorry. you come to that realisation? It got to a point where... My mind was quite fixed on the growth of the people, which comes naturally to me, the growth of the business, because that was a need. But it was the growth of the business right now and not the growth of the business in 6, 12, 24 months. So it was just a difference of 
thinking. And although we were hitting our targets the majority of the time, and COVID, COVID comes at the end of this, near the end of this chapter, uh, where we have to pivot quite quickly because we can't go to customers' houses and, and provide a service. I realized quite quickly that the layer below the senior leaders are the ones that get the message to push harder and push harder and push harder. KPIs, numbers, figures, hire this, campaigns, like that's, that's where all the pressure builds. And then it gets translated down to what I've been calling middle management. And what I found is that the opportunity for growth was actually further up the funnel than it was down at the bottom where I used to work with you know, the store managers, but the, the new recruits entering because they had this flowing effect like a waterfall that just trickled down. And I, I was part of that pressure system and it wasn't healthy for me. It wasn't healthy for my team. And, you know, there's good pressure and there's good grit, but there's also unhealthy pressure and there's unhealthy grit. You know, pressure makes diamonds. But at the same time, it takes about 3 million years to make a beautiful diamond. Yeah. And that type of pressure can kill people. Different story. <laughs> so, you know, there's, there's silver linings to dark clouds and dark linings to silver clouds, depending on mindset. And so I realized I, I didn't have this, this thermos that I, that I wanted, that I had. The drink was still the same, but other people were emptying it faster than I could drink it, while also the people that were filling it as well as me filling it just couldn't keep up with that pressure. And how long did it take you to come to that realization? Uh, about three months. Wow. That's pretty quick. So I'm always interested in people's awareness. You know, we we often mm. hear all about the need for resilience, the need for grit, the need for perseverance and working through the dip, as Seth Godin would say, mm. and, and all of those things. But something can be equally as empowering as realising pretty early on that this isn't right for you. Yeah, and there's a step even after that where you've got to do something with it. Yeah, and it's and it can be really hard if you haven't been through it before to understand yep. when to make the right decision and whether it is the right decision. And, and often, it's just a decision. Mm. And that's uh, and what what tends to happen is um, you know I'll share a model quickly that we use with the zone. It's one of our, our biggest, most foundational models, which is called the human dynamic model. You know, as people, we have a presence and an essence. We are beings, but we also are doings. We do a lot of things. And at a very young age, we're taught that if we continue to do things, get better grades. I'm thinking, like, you know, go right back to early childhood. Get your spelling right. Cool. Move the goalpost higher. Get your handwriting right. Move the goalpost higher or further away. And what happens is you continue to move this, hit your KPIs. Cool. Build yourself. Be bigger. Be better. Be better. Keep moving the goalpost. Keep moving the goalpost. Keep moving the goalpost. Every goalpost, Tony, is one of those cups. You finish drinking your cup and I want, I want another one. And you go for another cup. And that one's not as fulfilling. Or it's the same amount of fulfillment and you keep hitting these goals or you keep getting these tries or conversions. And it's not until you look at your being, you know, your thoughts, your feelings, your beliefs, the things like internal or intrinsic motivators, which is a big thing at the moment compared to external or extrinsic motivators. It's not until you look at, you know, what do you stand for? What is important for you? You know, the, the purpose that you might stand for, whether it's, Big to you or small to you because it's your purpose. It's no one else's. 
I think that's a really good piece to remember as well. Once you can look at your being, that's the thermos. That's that one that where you've got more than enough. It might even fill itself up. But it's just that one sip that'll warm your soul. So when you can do what you're being, so when you can do what you love, that's that the zone. That's the bit in the middle. That's that sweet spot. And what happened with this kind of three months for me to realize this, and it would have been sooner, is that I'd have been doing and doing and doing and doing and doing and doing. I'd forgotten completely about being. Do you think that happens, was, to, that happens to most of us? Lots mate, of times in life? That's, it's, it's just, it's, a, it's so human. It's a thing that we do. And we're always striving to be bigger or better or have a bigger impact or have a better outreach on social media or make more money or whatever it might be. And it's, you know, there's probably some societal pieces in there, but, you know, we're, we're very yes. doing people. We need to be more being. And it's, yeah, it's very, it's very natural to get into that. And that's why I loved in, in that previous job in chapter two around being that pe- people performance coaches, you stop people in their tracks. They stop doing while you have them in a workshop. They stop doing while you're coaching and they stop doing while you're tra- training. And they have to stop and look at themselves. They have to stop to take a breath. They have to stop to have a, a bit of reflection on what they want to be or want to learn, or where they want to go. And all that is fueled by their being. It's interesting because in a lot of business, the focus is totally on the doing. And to even think that you want to get in that being space mm. is often perceived as being a bit of a, a cop-out and that you know you just got to be in that doing space all the time because that's what you're employed to do. And um, I think it's a really short-sighted approach because yeah. especially in today's world where we, we seem to be conflicted with more pressures in the work environment, whether they be perceived or whether they be real because others are feeling the pressure and they push that pressure down onto you. So therefore you do get focused on that busyness of doing all the time. And it's no surprise that we don't really get anywhere. No, and that's exactly it. Or it's the perception of going nowhere. Yeah, or the perception of going nowhere. Exactly. Yeah. Because in your mind, it's it's unfulfilled. Yep. You want more. Or yep. that is that it? You know, I drank my cup of hot chocolate. Cup, drank my cup of joe. Next. You know, it's 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 fulfillment. You got to you got to do what you love. And there's you see a shift now with the uh, the great resignation. You know, people are going, oh, I don't want to work here. You see it on the short videos on you know, social media at the moment. I'm quitting my job. You know, people are making skits and all sorts of stuff. And what's happening, or at least what you can see, is people looking inside and go, actually, this doesn't align to who I am as a person. And I, I don't actually need that. So I'm going to leave because I stand for something else, whatever that something else is doesn't align to what your something else is or what your thing is. And, and that's where it's quite important. You know, um, Liam Ford, founder and CEO of the, of the Zone, he, he talks about, you know, the, the fish rots from the head, which can be quite graphic. So let me, let me build something around that. And that's, you know, the, the senior leaders of the business, it's so important that they're aligned, they have clarity, they as a team are a team. You know, they're a senior leadership team, as an example. 
and you know, that 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 trickles down that waterfall as well. And so you know, we we do a lot of work with purpose, vision, and culture in New Zealand in particular. Um, the guys and girls overseas that work with the zone also do the same. And it's it's bringing everyone on that journey. You know, I've been in organisations where you get given the bus ticket at the end, mm. and you go, "Here's the purpose. Go and live it." And you go, well, that's not my purpose, so I'm going to grab a different bus. The people need to be part of that purpose journey, even if it's a little bit. Because at the moment, it feels like perception. <laughs> feels like it's not. So are we in Chapter 3 now? This is Chapter 3. My wife and I are both made redundant from that job. She was working in the same business. And we have a baby due in a matter of months. So nothing like a bit of pressure. Nothing like a bit of pressure, absolutely. And that's it, right? It's it's perception. And if you can get your if you can get your pieces together, <laughs> you can make your puzzle. So in this case, this is what we did. You know, there was some panic. We've got a baby on the way. COVID's at its highest. You know, we we took redundancy. Um, the business went through COVID, like most other businesses in the world. And we're also going through an agile transformation. So there were going to be some, um, you know, bits of fat trimmed from the side from the business through labor. So we were part of that. And we were like, okay, let's either start again from the bottom in terms of retail um, or do something else. And we didn't want to start again. And we we did that. And selfish to say, you know, it's not that we weren't too good for the job. Like we'd done it for like five to 10 years between the two of us. And, and we knew what we loved or we knew what we liked and we wanted to find, I wanted to find that thermos again. So it starts with a baby being born March 28, 2020. The mum and dad, me and Kat, my wife, being made redundant, moving in with the in-laws, aka the outlaws. Don't mind <laughs> that I call, they don't mind that I call them that. <laughs> and... Um, Taking some time and energy to think, we we did, and I recommend this to, to everyone, and I mean this, grab an Excel document and write down all of the costs, all your normal daily, weekly, monthly costs, just the things that you spend money on that are in need, like a non-negotiable and a need, the stuff that you want, you can chuck those in there if you like. Have a look at how much you actually need to survive, because I can almost I can almost guarantee you it's not actually as much as people think and i don't mean like eat the bare minimum no no no. you can go get chippies you can go get your chocolate you can go get your fizzies be healthy and happy but you do you and what we realized through that even with a, a, a newborn was that we could live not with extra pocket money but we could live with one healthy salary while the other person which thankfully my wife with her big heart and her faith let me be the other person, can follow their dream. And I was looking for that thermos. So Kat went and got a call centre job with Fisher and Paykel. And all of months later, they're like, wow, you have skill sets that we really need. <laughs> There's someone leaving the business. She's been here for a while. And we need to we need to figure out you know, what she was doing in detail, but also we need to also look at whether this role stays or not. So Kat almost, almost created a role for, her, for herself out of that. And now she's doing the likes of project management and creating and looking at systems and process improvement. And she loves it. And it's, you know, that's, that's something that people would pray for. You know, we, we, we got 
lucky in a way. And meanwhile, I went off to my adventure. I, I battled my internal battles and came out. I was like, you know what? I need to provide for my family. And for me, that doesn't mean making a buttload of money. Having money is important. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna write that off. And I mean, like pocket money, you know, some spare money you can throw around on stuff that you love. But I've been doing and doing and doing and doing for what I perceived for such a long time at now 30 years old that I wanted to go back to being or doing what I loved, so doing my being, which was growing people. And so I went through a coaching program uh, and was, you know, went through some training as a coach because I'd been coaching for a matter of like three to four years now, but I'd never been trained properly if you will on paper as a coach so i went and did some core training then some advanced training in coaching and i tell you what that was that's eye-opening there's a very big difference between learning it on the job and also learning what you've learned through your own life experience as well and then also learning the science and the methodologies behind coaching there's a beautiful marriage between those two that i i would recommend for everyone really and did you go f- looking for those courses? Yeah, I did. So when I was made redundant, um, the company at the time was helping people with certain programs. You know, you were made redundant. And they're like, hey, look, you've got something that can help you. And I was like, I don't need or necessarily want any of these. Would you mind helping me pay for this training program for coaching? Right. Yeah. And it was actually... Um, you know, I don't want to thank the warehouse group for this. So it was actually a little bit more money, not a lot, but a little bit more money than what the kind of threshold was. And they replied saying, yes, just, you know, get them to fill it out. And um, I wasn't expecting that. So that was that was really nice. And then I, I enjoyed the course, you know, the, the brilliant basics of coaching. I, I enjoyed that through, like, so much, through the International Coaching Federation. You know, it's got a bit of weight behind it. I enjoyed it so much I wanted you know, season two of this, I went back for the advanced and joined student support. And I was now helping, supporting up and coming coaches, uh, which is what I'd kind of done in the previous role. And so what I found very quickly is that a lot of people in the world have a lot of life experience and also took up coaching through COVID at its peak. A lot of people also lost their jobs and use that experience that they have to become life coaches, you know, business coaches, so on and so forth. And man, the, the market is crazy flooded, not for any yeah. wrong reason. And especially <laughs> where a lot of it can be done online. Oh, know, exactly right. Yeah. Group work, but obviously one-to-one work works perfectly online. Yeah. So accessibility was, you know, untapped. There wasn't a door or a filter anymore. You could just, you know, let the floodgates open and everyone could join. <laughs> And so that didn't actually work out because um, a lot of it, a lot of what I learned is, you know, it's, it's the old saying, it's who you know, not what you know. And I was like, okay, that, that's, that's good learning. The people that I've been coaching, other people that I know and reaching out organically to other people, know other people that are coaching. And so I started to get back into facilitation because there was something about, you know, running a class or a workshop full of people, whether it's four or 400, that just fills me up. I'm like a showman. Someone said, someone said to me once, they're like, you're a showman. I chuck you in a, on a stage in front of a hundred people. Like, you're in your element. And I <laughs> sat there and grinned and I was like, yeah, I kind of am. 
Yeah, and that's so I went to LinkedIn and looked for facilitation work instead of coaching work, and actually found uh, Liam Ford looking for a facilitator slash coach for some of the clients there they had at the time. Uh, but also, there's only Liam travels a lot. So there's only technically one person in New Zealand, Emma, and you know I was here to support her, but also here to support the zone with the facilitation and the, and the clients that we had, and. I found my thermos. It was serving people. It was growing people. You know, COVID cut a couple of things short in terms of clients, but I like I found my thermos. You know, and, and the question you posed at the very beginning was you know, that you know, leaving it all behind and following your dreams. It was that you know we were both made redundant. We had money to survive on without struggling. We had a baby. We had biological, you know, people that could help us financially if we needed to. And rather than just go back to the slog of retail, my definition, I know some people love it, I, I didn't want to go back. Because I'd, I'd had so much of that chocolate, Tony, I was so sick. <laughs> I'd eaten so much retail chocolate, that was, that was it. And yeah, I, I followed what I loved and that meant that, you know, I, I didn't make any money for like six months. Last year was a struggle, but I tell you what, we still have more than enough to survive. There's petrol in the car. The baby's happy and healthy. He's almost two now. That's kind of scary. And and we're in a you know we're renting a house in Auckland, and we're in a beautiful place surrounded by beautiful people. Like, can you really ask for much more? And I'm doing what I love. We both are, Kat, my wife and I. It's amazing and that you've you've reached that position. And are feeling good about it, and it's come out of you know, recent adversity. Mm. Your model of doing and being, I think, is really simple, but obviously, from your point of view, has been really powerful to get you into that space. Tate, those three chapters were fascinating parts of your life. You're only a young man. I imagine there'll be many, many more chapters, and mm. looking forward to following your progress as you continue to write that story of your life with many different chapters. And thanks for being on Max's Island. Really enjoyed the way you went through stages of your professional career, but gave the listeners of Max's Island a real understanding of what it meant to you, how you felt, and how your emotions were, were so important in every step of the way. So thanks for joining us on Max's Island. Good luck to you, your wife, and your young son. And we look forward to having you back on Max's Island in the future. It's been a pleasure. Thanks so much for inviting me to the island, Tony. We spoke on the bus on the way home from work. He was lost. In the details of life Each day was a blur Oh work and no play And how How it had turned out this way He told me his plan A short term escape Five weeks on the Bibbulmin track Go it alone No one to blame If he finished Or fell by the no 